Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome along to this La Liga Lowdown podcast, also broadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and it's match day 17. We're looking back on today, the final round of matches before the rescheduled Classical is finally played on Wednesday. Both Barcelona and Real Madrid go into this clash at the Camp Nou, level on points as they both drew this weekend. We'll be speaking to San Sebastian-based journalist Phil Ball about the 2-2 draw between Real Sofidad and Barcelona in just a little bit. But first, let's discuss Valencia versus Real Madrid and their 1-1 draw, where Carlos Soler put the Valencians ahead and then this happened with just about the last kick of the ball. Yes, you heard that right. That was Thibaut Courtois getting involved at the other end, the goalkeeper getting his head on a corner kick to force a save from which Karim Benzema would tuck in the rebound. Let's bring in a resident Valencia fan and expert Paco Pollitt. And Paco, I first want to know your reaction to that last minute gut punching equaliser. I had conflicting thoughts overall. This outcome was definitely a possibility. On one hand, I think Real Madrid did absolutely everything they could to score and level the game, including Courtois and his desperate effort. But on the other, I think they had a pinch of luck because of the way he headed the ball, Jaume cleared and the loose ball ended in Benzema's feet. Overall, it felt like an appropriate ending to an already epic showdown with one point for each team and Real celebrating wildly a draw in one of the grounds they find the most difficult in the whole league. Benzema scored the goal and he also worked super hard throughout the game. How do you rate Benzema's effort in this one? Because there were several moments where he was back making tackles in his own half. Um, I'm going to be quite bold with my rating. Benzema is the best player of Real Madrid squad and possibly the second best player of the whole league just behind Lionel Messi. He's a monster of a player, he does everything right and this season his scoring production is wildly above what anybody could expect from him. Against Valencia he delivered possibly the best performance of the game, going toe-to-toe with Dani Parejo on the opposite team. And he did especially in the last few minutes when his teammates were in such a hurry providing that extra pause to think smartly his next move when attacking. 
Um, it was an absolute coincidence that the ball ended on his feet on the 95th minute, but if somebody had to score, it was definitely Benzema. Jose Gaia versus Danny Carvajal was one of the best individual duels of this game. Did you enjoy their battle? Yes, I absolutely enjoyed their battle and I especially enjoyed the place where the ball was nowhere in sight. You know, both players are very small, very physical defenders, which actually, by the way, used to be wingers back in their day, in their youth. And that aggressiveness and attacking attitude is something that binds them in some way. They have it in common. But there was no sign of a truce between both of them. Um, both Carvajal and Gaia, they kept the 90 minutes trying to one-up each other and they delivered a hell of a show. Finally, Paco, can you sum up this past week from a Valencia point of view? It's been quite dramatic. In my view, I think it was almost the perfect week. It was this close, a 95th minute goal away from absolute perfection. Beating Ajax in their home ground and against all odds was already huge, but the way the team is able to recover after such a big game and still deliver in the next one speaks very highly of the level of commitment and drive of this squad. They are the ones, the players, who are doing the heavy lifting, with coach Celades trying to touch as little as possible and keep the team in good shape with a few tactical switches here and there. Um, Kevin Gamero got injured against Ajax. Uh, Thielesen couldn't play this week because he got injured last week. But fortunately, Kondogbi is already back and he played against Real Madrid a few minutes. And also goalkeeper Jaume Domenech has been super solid in the last seven days, proving that he could actually and perfectly be Valencia's starter for the remainder of the season. So yeah, lots of drama for Valencia, but to this point, the outcome has been superb. Okay, thank you, Paco, for updating us on one of the most dramatic weeks at Valencia in a long time. And that's saying something. Now, let's discuss the team that come into the Clásico as the leaders of La Liga, Barcelona. They and Real Madrid are both level on 35 points, with Barcelona two ahead on goal difference. Remember, though, at the end of the season, it's the head-to-head -head records that count. Barcelona went into what is probably their least favourite stadium in all of Spain, to Anoeta and drew 2-2 with Real Sociedad going ahead through a Mikel Oyarzabal penalty with Antoine Griezmann and Luis Suarez turning it around for Barcelona and then, with a rare Marc-Andre Ter Stegen mistake, allowing Alexander Isak to equalise for the home side. Phil Ball, a Spanish football expert and the author of the book Morbo, was there and he joins us now. Phil, I imagine you enjoyed this one. You've seen Real Sociedad frustrate Barcelona a lot over the years, but this performance must have been up there with the very best, right? There was a period between 2011 and 2016 when Real Sociedad uh, beat Barcelona five times out of six uh, in Anoeta <clears throat> and you know it, it became the kind of place not to go for Barcelona and, 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 and wonderful though those events were I saw all of them the uh, performance on Saturday I thought was actually better and that's interesting because Real Sociedad didn't win you know uh, Real Sociedad had an average age of uh, 24, but if you consider the fact that if you take if you take Nacho Monreal out of that, Monreal's 34. If you take Monreal out of that um, statistic, then the average age of Real Sociedad drops to about 12. You know, spotty adolescence against Barcelona, who had an average age of 29, and yeah, they got some young players in there as well. But yeah, let let let, let let's just say that the you know, there's an obvious difference. Now, it was great to see that, and not only the possession, but also Real Sociedad determining. I thought the 
the terms of the play. That was the great thing. Who stood out for you in this game? The standout player in the game for me was uh, Ander Guevara, the uh, the midfield pivot. You know, he's he's young again. He's only he's only twenty two. Um, he's been in the youth setup since two thousand and twelve. Uh, he's from Vitoria. Started out with the Alaves youth side, and then he went across to, uh, to Real Sociedad. And uh, you know, to be honest, he was off most people's radar for quite a while. But what's interesting is, is to just see the way he played. He's got that, he's got that sort of shabby thing about him. He, he's, he's able to actually uh, determine the, the the time and pace of the of the game. I, I really like the way he also switches switches position. You know, he hasn't got it totally right yet. Yeah, he was a bit worried sometimes. He was, you know, he's up against Ratic. Rakitic, Busquets, and De Jong—you know—that's quite, that's quite, that's quite a challenge. But of course, he's got Odegaard and Marino either side of him. Marino, Mika Marino was terrific as well. Uh, why Marino isn't playing for the Spanish national side is something of a mystery at the moment. He's, he's surely the best, he's surely the best Spanish left-sided midfielder at the moment in the game, and he's going to be even better. He's, he's got everything, you know. Everyone talks about the great players at Real Sociedad, but does Imanol deserve more credit for the tactics? I don't think Imanol is any kind of tactical genius, you know. I think that his main yeah, his main virtue resides in his man management. That was very clear when he when he when he came in for Eusebio and then later after 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 Garitano. Um uh, what he is, he's, he's a club man. You know, he's been promoted from within. I think that was the mistake with Garitano, uh, a guy who who was Basque, okay, but he, he'd come from outside, as it were, from the club and, and didn't quite understand what was what was going on. You know, and also worked with the, the younger players who are coming through from the youth side. That's also a, <clears throat> a crucial thing here. But he's growing into the he's growing into the role. He brought Yanusay on for Porto, which was a very good change, you know, tactically speaking. And at that point in the game, I, I thought it was the right thing to do. <laughs> but suddenly, you know, you look around and you, you look in the earth. You've got Yanusay, Oyarzabal, Merino, Odegaard, Guevara. All these guys, all these terrific players. And you think, wow, you know, this guy's got so much at his disposal. You know, he, you know, he doesn't need to be a tactical genius. You know, you just need to manage it well. Keep these guys happy. And what were your thoughts on the two penalty situations? The Real Sociedad one that was given, and then a late one on Jared Piquet that Barcelona felt should have been given. Obviously, uh, I think that it would have been a bit of a tragedy, as it were, if, if Real Sociedad had not got at least a point out of a game, which I think overall they they deserve to win. And I think that in their calmer moments, Barcelona will probably feel the same. I think Valverde was pretty much implying that in his post-match conference. I, I, I think to let the penalty controversies uh, cloud cloud this thing, the issue is is, is a little bit sad. Um, the uh, the penalty on Llorente is, is obvious. Uh, Busquets does it very badly and, and makes it very public, as it were. If you look at the uh, the the one at the end, where with Piquet, Llorente just does it better than Busquets. You know, he does it. He he pulls Piquet's shirt. He, he's not in the referee's sight line. He does it very well. You know, he, he does it so well. You'd say he should be back in the Spanish national side for doing that so well. You know. <laughs> But uh, there is another argument, and that is that uh, Piquet was pushing him before, and uh, Piquet, Piquet's shoving uh, Llorente. Llorente falls backwards and sort of grabs onto his shirt as he falls back. You know, I mean, it's it's another argument. What is a bit odd is that that uh, that again Var didn't uh, intervene. Did Var not intervene because they thought that it wasn't worth intervening? Because they they thought it was. 
six of one and half a dozen of the other, or I, I don't know. It's 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 a it's an interesting question from an objective, from an objective standpoint. I suppose Barcelona do you know do have grounds for complaint, but uh, you know let's let's not go any further on that one. You know, uh, as as a follower of a. Of of of, uh, of a club like Real Sociedad, you know, I, as as they say, you know, I could tell you a few stories, you know, but you know, let's not get onto that. If uh, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty, and it should have been given. But uh, I'm really glad it wasn't. Thank you, Phil. Now there was a lot of refereeing controversy this weekend, and quite a lot of teams posting tweets about the refereeing on social media. Real Sociedad did so to make the same points that Phil just did. Barcelona didn't on social media, but have reportedly made a complaint to the authorities. Celta Vigo did so too as they complained about two penalties they thought they could have been given and two red cards that Real Mallorca could have been given in the crazy 2-2 draw between the two struggling sides. That's despite the fact that Celta Vigo did get one penalty and did get one Real Mallorca player sent off. That was an entertaining back and forth game, that 2-2 draw between Celta Vigo and Real Mallorca, but there certainly wasn't any grand conspiracy against Celta Vigo. And then Osasuna complained as well as they felt they should have been awarded a penalty during their match against Atletico Madrid that they ultimately lost 2-0. A match we'll be discussing in part two of this podcast. So many complaints from so many clubs this weekend and I've got to say, just stop it. Just stop it, guys. It's not a good look. And what goes around usually comes around over a full 38-game season. Anyway, now that that rant is over, we're going to take a quick break and after that, we'll go into more detail on that Atletico Madrid win over Osasuna. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast. As promised, we're going to discuss Atletico Madrid 2, Osasuna 0, a much-needed three-point haul for Atleti that Sam Leverage was there to see. Sam, this took a while for Atletico Madrid to get the goals, which eventually came from Alvaro Morata 
and Saul. There were six first half saves from Sergio Herrera in the Osasuna goal. He was great, wasn't he? But the fact he had so much work to do tells you that Atletico Madrid were playing well, right? Yes, Sergio Herrera has been a really impressive player for Osasuna since he came in as a substitute against Atafé and he's done really well for them. And against Atletico, he was he was the key man, really. I think the stat was that he made six saves in the first half alone and that was more than any other goalkeeper had made in a single game all season. So a really impressive turnout from him and he definitely kept Osasuna in the game, particularly in the first half. And it was a... It was a strange one, really, because, again, it was very much like Atletico Madrid in the last few weeks in that they created plenty of chances, they were playing some good football, and then they were just getting into the final third. They couldn't add the finishing touch, and it's very much been the problem that Diego Simeone's team had, and even against Lokomotiv Moscow, even though they scored two goals, we saw it a few times there. And again, against Osasuna, it was very much the same story. In the second half, they found their way through, and they, they converted a few chances, but... Very much a theme of this season for Diego Simeone's team and something that he needs to work on. The second Atletico goal was a really nice team move finished off by Saul. Is it time for us to admit that this Atletico Madrid team can play nice football sometimes? Very much so, yeah. I think that we talk a lot this season about Diego Simeone and leading the transition of Atletico Madrid with these new players and how they're adapting, how they're getting used to the new options available in the squad and a slightly different style of play, even if the fundamentals are pretty much the same. I think they have played some good football. I think we saw in midweek as well that Thomas Party playing in a slightly more advanced role in the Champions League, for example, and, and the effect that that can have. And it definitely mixes things up a little bit. And when they do score goals like that, well, it just shows that, that Simeone is right to have that patience, even if in the past few weeks it hasn't always come off. So it definitely kind of gives the reward that the, the fans have been waiting for. Manu Sanchez made his debut at left-back. How did he get on? Yeah, Ran and Lodi was out injured and many expected Sol to start at left-back, but he didn't. He was in midfield and so it was Manu Sanchez who came in. And Sanchez did quite well. He didn't, didn't do too badly at all. He looked a bit, little bit nervous early on and, and picked up a yellow card in the first half. But he was a, a solid option for Atletico Madrid, obviously. Also soon there aren't the most challenging of teams to face and he'll come up against much more challenging tasks if he does need to step into the team long-term, but... It's an option that Simeone can have in his squad if he needs to rotate, particularly if he's going to prioritise cup competitions and the Champions League later on in the season. Thank you, Sam. Now, the next match I want to talk about is Hitafi 2, Real Valladolid 0, and there's a special reason why. Vitorino Antunes got injured on April 14th with a serious knee injury, and this was his first game back. This was the sound as he was subbed on. I'm really happy for Antunes, the Hitafi left-back, who was so solid last year for them. They're absolutely flying, so to talk about the actual football of this game, let's bring in Matt Clark. Matt, how is it possible that Hitafi are even better this year than last year, considering they now have midweek games to play? They're such an impressive outfit, aren't they? And what a job Pepe Bordalas has done with them. They're so organised and ultra-efficient at what they do. It's not always glamorous, they have the most yellow cards in the league, which illustrates their combative, physical approach, but my word, it really delivers results. Five consecutive wins without conceding a single goal, how impressive is that? Yeah, I, me too, I thought they'd struggle in the first half of this season, with the weight of the Europa League schedule, but Bordalas has rotated when he's needed to, successfully navigating the group with four wins from six, and quietly they've been climbing the La Liga table. Their tally of 30 points after 17 games is the best ever for a Hetafe side. And Hill got another goal in this one. He's made himself a starter now, hasn't he? He's making a strong case, that is for sure. 
He has eight La Liga goals now. Only Lionel Messi, Karim Benzema and Luis Suarez have scored more. Impressively, 75% of those goals have come off the bench. He's also their top scorer in the Europa League too. I suppose it is a difficult one for Bordelas. On the one hand, the evidence is overwhelming that Angel is their biggest goal threat, so it makes sense to play him from the start as often as possible. But then on the flip side, the current situation is working well for both player and club, so why change it? I I'm going to back Bordelas to make the right call on this one. Mark Cucurella, who also scored, he fascinates me. He's doing so well, yet he still doesn't strike me as a La Masia Academy player. What do you make of him? He opened the scoring against Real Valladolid, his first for the club, and he was impressive throughout the game. Tenacious, composed on the ball, willing to get stuck in. The perfect Hatafe player, you could say. Which, as your question suggests, Ewan, is not really typical of a silky, ball-caressing La Masia graduate. My best guess is that because he has spent so much of his professional career out on loan, he's developed a very different skill set to your typical Barcelona youngster. It's now no goals in five games for Real Valladolid. Why can't they score? Yeah, I'm, I'm really starting to worry for Valladolid. As you say, five games and seven and a half hours without scoring a goal. And that's to add to the three other games they have failed to score in earlier in this season. That's nearly half the games where they aren't scoring in La Liga. And it goes without saying that if you're not scoring, you're not going to win games. As to why that is, I think it's a mixture of things. Confidence among the forwards is obviously low at the moment, and there isn't a great deal coming from other areas of the pitch, either in terms of creativity or chipping in with goals. They have had nine separate goal scorers, which on its own sounds pretty good, but only two of those have scored more than just the one goal. So there is no regularity to that additional supply of goals, which must be a concern for Sergio Gonzalez. Thanks, Matt. Now it's time to go Andalusian. Let's discuss the three sides from that region of Spain. The first of them in action this weekend was Granada, who hosted Levante in a game that Granada once again played well in. But a couple of really nice long-range strikes from Ruben Rochina and Enes Bardi meant that Levante actually took a 2-1 away win from this one. A bit of a shock result and there was also a shock result as Sevilla hosted Villarreal. Villarreal had been in terrible form, failing to win any of their previous six matches, but they got a 2-1 win in this one with Raul Albiol and Carl Togoacambi getting their goals while Munir El Haddadi got the Sevilla one. The really interesting aspect of this one was the way Sevilla played. They put six to eight crosses into the Villarreal box in this game. That's a record for a La Liga game in the last decade and it didn't even work out. Then there was Real Betis and the return of coach Ruby and striker Borja Iglesias to Espanyol. Borja Iglesias started so well, scoring just four minutes in, but Espanyol went on to lead 2-1 thanks to Sergi Darder and Bernardo Espinosa. Was this going to be their first home win of the season in the league? No. Mark Bartra made it 2-2 and it means it's now nine home games this La Liga season, seven defeats and two draws. Let's talk now to Roman de Arcar about this. Roman... Is there any hope for Espanyol? Well, it's always hard to believe when you're going through such a tough time. But I think Espanyol still have to have hope. Uh, there's still a long way to go in La Liga. And they were very good in this game, especially in the first 45 minutes. It's probably the best version of Espanyol we've seen this season so far. And despite going down 1-0 uh, after Borja Iglesias scored really early in that third minute, uh, Espanyol were capable of rebuilding and believing again in themselves. And they came back with two goals. And after the first 45 minutes, they were up ahead and really playing much better than Betis 
at that point. So they still have motives to believe for sure and they have to um, keep that unity they showed between the fans and the, the team on the field. So that's going to be very important to make them get through this tough time. We mentioned that Borja Iglesias and Ruby both returned since leaving this summer. How did the fans react to them? Well, I can say it wasn't pretty. Probably what we expected, I guess. Um, uh, the booing was really loud when those two were named. Uh, the whistling against the, against Borja Iglesias during the whole game was constant. And I mean, the fans aren't happy with the way they left very noisily last summer. And I can understand because it was a uh, very tough on them taking into account how important those two uh, had been for the squad last season. They got them to Europe, basically. They were really key in that achievement. So losing them that way felt really bad to all the Pericos and uh, now they have this uh, resentment towards them and we clearly saw it during the game. Lots of booing to uh, Ruby and Borja Iglesias. And it was Borja Iglesias who scored so early on. Espanyol really misses quality on the field, don't they? Yeah, I mean, the impact was immediate in this game. I mean, he scored after that cross from Alex Moreno, headed in past uh, Diego Lopez. He was really quick in getting ahead of Bernardo and scoring that really important goal. Goals we saw him score with Espanyol last season. And as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, they're lacking so much up in attack. Thank you to Roman there for the lowdown. So, Espanyol are bottom of the table, level on 10 points at the bottom with Leganes. Leganes also drew, but the sensations around this team are much more positive. Since Javier Aguirre came in, they've collected five points from five games and even the ones they've lost were just by one goal against Barcelona and Sevilla. This time they went away to Alaves, not an easy place to go, and managed to draw 1-1. There was also a draw in Bilbao this weekend in a meeting of two neighbours as Athletic Club hosted Eibar. This was an awful game, it really was. It was 0-0 and it was quite violent, but it did throw up some interesting talking points. Dan Parry was there and firstly Dan, is a midfield pairing of Danny Garcia and Mikel San Jose really going to cut it for Athletic in home games like this where they probably should take the initiative a bit more? Yeah, I don't actually think, to be honest, that this is the preferred midfield pairing of, of Garitano. But we have a bit of a problem at the moment in the fact that Munayin is injured and ben, Benyat's been injured. He's just starting to come back. So we're lacking a bit of dynamism, a bit of creativity in the middle. And uh, so because of that, and also because of the fact that Santa is quite young and he can't really play too many games in a row, Unai Lopez had to move up, push up front, and we had to play Garcia and San Jose together. Typically, Garitana prefers to pair Garcia or San Jose with someone else. Uh, I don't think you should expect to see it too often in the future, to be honest. What's going on with the positions of Iñaki Williams and Raul Garcia? Williams, he played out wide and Raul Garcia was basically the striker and it's not the first time we've seen that in recent weeks. Yeah, these positions, these position changes came about uh, after the bad run of form that, that happened in October. I was listening to an interview with uh, Williams recently and he was speaking about this and he said that basically... After that terrible run of form, Garitano was just looking for looking for a solution. And one of the ideas he came up with was to, to put Garcia up front and to put Iñaki on the wing so that Iñaki could, could attack a bit more freely and not have to worry about uh, linking up and, and all that typical sort of holding up the ball and that typical striker sort of stuff. that Champions League music not because Athletic Club are looking like a Champions League team they're slipping down the table in fact but it's there because we had the Champions League draw on Monday 
I'll run you through the ties just now involving the Spanish sides and give you a very quick thought on each tie. We've got Real Madrid versus Manchester City. The last time Pep Guardiola played Real Madrid was his 4-0 home loss with Bayern Munich in the 2013-14 semi-finals. He hasn't played them since then. Atletico Madrid versus Liverpool. This will actually be the first time that Diego Simeone and Jurgen Klopp go up against each other. I'm fascinated to see that. Napoli versus Barcelona. It'll be Messi's first ever match at the stadium where Maradona became a legend. Oh, and Napoli have a familiar foe in their books, Costas Manolas. Atalanta versus Valencia. It's two of the long shots, so one of these sides will be in the quarterfinals, which is pretty special. But neither of these underestimated sides will be underestimating anyone. We also had the Europa League draw. There's Atafi versus Ajax. This might be the ultimate clash of styles. It's going to be brilliant. There's Kluge against Sevilla. Sevilla are the five-time winners, and they'll be up against one of the surprise teams of the tournament so far. And then there's Wolves versus Espanyol. It'll be a return to La Liga Stadium for Nuno Espirito Santo, the Wolves boss who's done so well with the English team. So there's my reaction to the European draws, and that brings us to the end of this podcast. I want to thank the contributors, Paco Pollitt, Phil Ball, Sam Leverage, Matt Clark, Roman de Arker, and Dan Parry. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and I thank you very much for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.